25th floor of the Century Plaza Hotel here in downtown Vancouver. It's a very special edition of the George Sanders Show. Uh, Sean and I are in day four of uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival, the 34th annual. Uh, and we've seen uh, a lot of movies so far. I've seen... How many movies have I seen? I've seen 12. Sean, how many have you seen? 15. 15. So we're going to do... This is going to be kind of a free-form uh, show. Our, our, our thoughts are kind of addled and... <laughs> I'm sure it may be difficult to form sentences because uh, we haven't done a lot of talking in the last four days. You and I have seen each other a lot, but we don't actually talk to each other. But that's typical. <laughs> yeah, but we've been running from movie to movie. Uh, this is really our first uh, break, shared break, I guess, um, that we've had since we got here Friday. It's Monday now, Monday night. Really, it's our first evening off. It's the first. It's the first yeah. night we don't have a, like a late show. Right. We just. Got out of the uh, the Hong Sang Soo movie, which I'm sure we will talk about. Yeah, and uh, th there's a lot to talk about. So yeah, there's uh, what, what do we have? We have Hong Sang Soo. We have Guy Madden. We have Tom Anderson. Maple uh, Chung. Maple Chung. Uh, See, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> it's all it's all a mess. Other in my head. Other movies we will uh, that we will talk about. Yes, we may not remember the titles or what happened in them, but we will talk about them somehow, some way. Uh, so we'll see what happens, you know. So this is your uh, ninth time, eighth time at the Vancouver Film Festival? Seventh time. Seventh time at the Vancouver, seventh, lucky number seven, seven. Seventh time in eight years. Seventh time in eight years. Uh, so, and this is my first time attending the festival. Um, so... Four days in, how do you feel it's shaping up so far? You think it's a it's a good festival this year? You think are you, you enjoying what you're seeing? Uh, yes. How's it, how's it? Is it moving efficiently? Is it? Uh... Yes. Uh, I am not moving efficiently, but uh, no, I you certainly are not. The, the, I... the festival is going quite smoothly. <laughs> Sean was huffing behind me on our way from uh, the Hong movie to get some dinner, uh, lugging his bag and. Panting. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm getting too old <laughs> and and too fat to be making the the two mile walk from one end of downtown to the other in the twenty minutes needed to get from one theater to another in time. Yeah. So so maybe next year have some sort of like a motorized uh, wheelchair. We've seen we've seen a number of people on those like little motorized unicycles. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I might have to get one of those. Yeah, the, the, those are odd. I don't even those, know. Those, those are really cool. <laughs> those guys, those guys, those guys who are the, using those. The rollerblade of the future. Are very cool guys. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, besides the, the hoof in it, you, you're feeling pretty good about the. How do you feel about the schedule in terms of things being laid out? You. Uh, uh, it, it's okay. You know, I, I mentioned on the last show, I thought that uh, we, were, we were going to miss. Uh, more of the films I was looking forward to than was usual for uh, a VIF, but uh, it, things have worked out well so far. Like I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't know really what to expect leading into the festival. Like the last uh, uh, three years have been so good. There've been so many movies each year that I really liked that I wasn't really anticipating that this year. Aside from like the big name. Directors that we, we knew right. we were going to talk about the the Hong and the Ho Shao Shen, uh, which we haven't seen yet. Um, uh, but I wasn't so sure about like the 
the other slots right in the, the schedule unknowns, the... but uh so far they're working out really well like uh the the tom anderson the the guy madden um were even better than i expected them to be so uh yeah you changed your schedule you were not going to see the tom anderson you were going to catch uh the new uh the the ben rivers film yeah. uh but yeah but the uh the early reviews of the the rivers film and your glowing review of the Anderson film made me... <laughs> flipped it for you? Flipped it. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Anderson. Um, and I was surprised, you know, that there... It's, it's interesting to me, you know, this being my first time here, um, seeing the crowds uh, and which movies get more people than others. Um because I expected something like that to be, you know, maybe, maybe not sold out, but a fairly, you know, highly anticipated movie. Um, but maybe I run in some small circles. Um, but also the same with the uh, guy Madden last night, where I was like, this is going to be, i I got to get here early, this is going to be packed, and that was not the case. Yeah, well, I think uh, uh, partially with the guy Madden is the fact that it is opening here in, right. in Vancouver. Um like next week or, or in yeah, a couple of festival, weeks. Yeah, right after the uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, attendance is very different from from SIF, where pretty much every show was, like, packed that we went to this year. I didn't go to any. You didn't go to any shows. <laughs> I went to a couple of press screeners, screenings, but I didn't right. go to any. Yeah. Uh, pretty much every audience show I went to was was really crowded, yeah. and uh, the ones that weren't that weren't were like the like the avant garde right. documentary ones, like the James Benning film. Um, but uh, that's that's less the case here, and partially it's they do a really good job of matching the venue to the amount of interest. Mm-hmm. in theater like something like the the Mabel Chung movie they knew was going to do a ton of business so they put it in like the massive center for the performing arts and that show was, was full that was full um, and that was the second show right. of that movie so you have to think that they filled that like 800 seat auditorium twice over right and then we saw a matinee yeah so yeah yeah uh, but uh, something like a, a nine o'clock on a Sunday night show of the Guy Madden movie that's going to be opening in two weeks. Right. Yeah, you know, a little. You don't. You don't really need so much space for that one. I think you need a lot of space for that movie. <laughs> that movie. That movie deserves its own theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into the maybe the expected. Films like the the uh, Anderson and the Madden and uh, the Hong film. If, the, if there's one movie that kind of caught you off guard um, that you you know didn't know too much about going in that, that you've seen so far, which one which one would you like to highlight? Uh, the one that kind of sticks out for me right now is uh, is this movie Lee Wen at East Lake, which was uh, by director Luo Li, and I think I talked about this as one of like my under the radar picks. Uh, on our last episode, Mike isn't sure because he doesn't remember our last episode, even though it was ten days ago. <laughs> I uh, don't remember what we saw this afternoon. Of course, I don't remember it either. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Luo Lee directed the film that won the Dragons and Tigers Award here in Vancouver in 2012, called Emperor Visits the Hell. It's an adaptation of a of a chapter from Journey to the West. 
Uh, and it's kind of like a weird kind of modern telling of an ancient story with like a kind of meta-cinematic twist at the end. Uh, Lee Wen at Eastlake for its first 40 minutes is a very standard kind of social problem documentary about this, this lake in, uh, um, in China that's being filled in by development. They're building uh, like apartment towers and, and condos. They're buying out the, the villagers who live in the area. They're building like a massive amusement park and it's leading to like environmental destruction and loss of traditional culture and yada, 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 all that stuff that you expect to see in such a film. And as he's doing it, he's like interviewing various residents. And uh, he, uh, eventually he's interviewing this guy who's like, I don't, you know, this is fine that you are doing this. It's good that you're doing this when you're in college. This is a good thing for college students to be doing. But, you know, you can't really change anything in the world, you know. Plus, I don't really believe that you're actually doing it. And the guy's doing the interview. And I'm like, I am. Here's my card. You can look me up on my website. And uh, the guy that's interviewing says, okay, I'll do that. And then it cuts. And then a title card for the movie comes up, 40 minutes into it. And then the rest of the movie from that point on is a fiction film starring that guy who he had been interviewing, who said he didn't believe him. And he plays like a detective who's trying to solve a mystery around this lake at the time that the development is going on. And he has various adventures around the, the lake. And he meets different people, and it kind of explores the culture of the community and kind of looks back to the history of China in the 20th century as like a, a hobby that he has is collecting photographs of the Cultural Revolution or like the anti-Japanese war and there's like these black and white photo uh, photographs that are like really striking and so it's all just like this really fascinating and a statement about culture and history and progress in China. It was, it was, it was cool and it's, and it's also really funny. Oh that's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, you know I, funny Humor, I, I'm noticing, uh, in terms of, you know, you're watching so many movies all day um, that the glimmers of humor that, that pop out and things are really nourishing, you know, and, um, and we'll talk more about that when we get to a, a particular film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's something I really like about, about Hong Kong film and, and Chinese film in, in general is even if you have like a, like a really serious movie, there will always still be moments of, of comedy that kind of mixing in, mm -hmm. whereas uh, I tend to find European films very dour. Mm -hmm. uh, you, don't want, you don't want the Europeans trying comedy for the most part. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work out too well. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you? Do you have like a, a film that you were not looking forward to before you got here that you have since... I wouldn't say not looking forward to because I'm definitely, I mean, everything that I've seen so far is, you know, the, the, I've had to whittle stuff off of my list, you know, because there's, there's enough stuff that I do want to see. Um, but, yeah, one that I was like could be hit or miss uh, that I really did enjoy was uh, The Piper, which is a Korean film, uh, debut film from a director, Kim Gwang Tae, I think is his name. Um, and... It was a very visceral film. It's a, it's a movie that goes goes big, and is, isn't afraid to do it. You know, it's it, it's the um, it's an adaptation of the Pied Piper of Hamlin story that we all know so well. The guy with the flute that you know uh, gets screwed over by a, a town and, and decides to uh, kidnap their children. kidnap their children with his magical flute. Um, but this one is is uh, kind of a unique take on it. It's set in 
uh, Korea in uh, nineteen in the fifties, um, the you know the war years, and uh, there's a father and his son who are are walking across the country trying to get to uh, civilization to get a cure for his kid who has tuberculosis, um, and they come across this kind of hermetic village um, that despite their hesitation, do take them in, at least for a time. And it's run by a, a man who, as it's teased out, his motives may be a little more sinister than, than the, uh, the yokel that he plays. Anyway, without going into too much of it, we all know the, the you know, the fable or whatever that it's based on. Uh, but I really enjoyed how this movie incorporated that, but but made it specific to its time and place, and which made it feel fresh. And I also liked that it was not afraid to have thousands of CGI rats eating people alive and stuff. Uh, so it really commits to its premise. And we saw, um, the night before, we saw another Korean film uh, called Alice in Ernest Land, which to me was a movie that attempts to be shocking um, in in superficial ways uh, that don't really, at least didn't resonate with me. I, I came out of that one not very happy with it. Um, but all of the gruesome stuff that happens in the Piper um, is in service to the story, and it it uh, it's over the top, but it's because it's building to this very melodramatic finale um, that I think it earns. And uh, I was very yeah, I was very impressed with it. The uh, the gruesome film that that we've seen that I think is I thought was uh, I thought was really good. I'm still kind of thinking about it. We just saw it this morning. Is uh, a Hong Kong film called Port of Call uh, by uh, directed by Philip Young, uh, who was in attendance. Who was who was there? He he seemed like a very nice guy. Uh, <laughs> he had quite the uh, Christopher Doyle anecdote. <laughs> yeah, he had, uh, the movie was shot by Christopher Doyle, and uh, yeah, he told he told uh, he had a lot of things to say about Christopher Doyle. He did. As, he spoke more about Christopher Doyle than anything else. As uh, I imagine that anyone that knows Christopher Doyle has a lot of things to say sure. about Christopher Doyle. But uh, actually, one thing he he said that I thought was really interesting about him was that, uh, uh, well, first of all, that 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 Doyle likes to to help out young directors and mm -hmm. and, and shoot on their films, which is which is true. He uh, uh, he doesn't really get enough credit for that, I don't think. But he like goes out of his way to work with people that don't have a big name in a way that that most internationally famous cinematographers right. don't do. Roger Deakins isn't going to do your uh, indie Here's, movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he could, but it's it's very unlikely. Not, no, and, well, his, and Christopher Doyle has been doing this for like fifteen years. Right. So yeah, like ever since it's he's been famous, yeah. Um, but is, he's, uh, he also talks about how he is, he doesn't really work in like the style that made him famous, the kind of Wong Kar Wai kind of like smearing the screen, you know, wildly experimental style of his, of his mid nineties films. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't do that anymore. And he, and he thinks that he's kind of matured as a cinematographer and focused more on, on the character and trying to convey the image rather than, than being more show offy. And he thinks it's that Doyle is, is growing up. As yeah, an artist. As an old man. Which, uh, um, which is interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I thought uh, that film, I thought Port of Call 
looked fantastic. I I would never have guessed that it was uh, Christopher Doyle. I actually I think I knew before, like in reading the catalog, and then I forgot. Yeah, same with me. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, uh, when the when the schedule initially came out, like I, I went through it and I, like read the descriptions of, of everything and like set my schedule, and then I tried to forget as much as possible. So I have like the titles and like you know the director and the country and maybe a little bit about the plot, but I try to go in with like as little information as possible. And for something that's that's not really possible, like I know a lot about the Ho Shen film, but right, sure, absolutely. Uh, but for something like Port of Call, I really didn't know anything at all going into it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really liked it. Uh, I did too. I, there were moments of it where I was completely overwhelmed and I, and it builds to some, um, pretty amazing climaxes. There's a, there's a crescendo of, of kind of just, uh, just emotion, uh, at, at one point in it. Um, the movie's about a 16 year old girl who, um, has been a prostitute for uh, a little while and uh, is found dead. And they and there's kind of a investigation into. Well, she's she's not found. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, the room is found with, covered in blood and all of yeah. there's, there's a crime scene anyway. And then somebody going confesses to, to right. killing her. Eventually, the the killer confesses, but that that happens very early on in the movie, and most of the rest of it is um, kind of. Split between a cop, uh, played played by Aaron Kwok. Yeah, who um, who wants to know why he like he 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 knows who the killer is. He knows you know all of the all of the stuff that a law enforcer would be concerned about. He has the answers to that, but he's wondering why a young girl um, like that would want to die um, as it's as it's teased out there um and then we also get flashbacks to when she was alive and we see the it fills in the backstory um of her last couple of years um and it and then it's also incredibly gruesome as we said at the beginning yeah yeah it's it's <laughs> it's really gruesome it's 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 too gruesome i mean even absent any kind of political implications which which the film has it, it's too just it's too bloody to pass Chinese censorship, right? There's no way. There's no way that you can make a yeah. Um, I think I think it's too bloody to pass American censorship like that. It would be NC-17 rated yeah, in the U.S. I, I I agree. And and while I with something like the Piper, it's over the top and and um, I mean it. There's some gruesome stuff in it. I never flinched from the screen with that because it's a heightened reality or whatever. But this is very clinical in its uh, and it's entirely necessary. Like, it has to be yeah. too gruesome. Yeah, you have to... I mean, there are moments of that where I was, like, looking in, like, the upper right corner of the screen uh, when the woman's face, her skin is being peeled off of her face. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> it's so disgusting. Because it, it is about those things that are, like, too gruesome for right. us to look at. And more than... More than like the crime itself, which the film is about the crime itself and about like the plight of uh, people who immigrate to Hong Kong and, and are trying to you know reach this kind of economic success and, and fail and, yeah. and fail downwards into to prostitution and drugs. Um, as much as it's about that, it's also about this cop and the horrible things that he has seen and his inability to 
to deal with that, not in like a psychologically destructive way. Like he's not, he's not like a crazy cop. Right. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have a drinking problem. He's, no, he's, yeah. he's a regular guy who has seen horrible things and has found some way to cope with that. Right. And, yeah, and, sometimes, but, but sometimes this, even he is overwhelmed by it. This is the case that, you know, breaks his breaks that kind of, you know, yeah, and it's and, and it's also about kind of our fascination with crimes like that, like with with these kinds of stories, how we are we're we're drawn to these these horrible stories. But Yeah, but how far do we want to go? Right. right. And it's the the film uh, it, it has this, this amazing line that, that Aaron Kwok says like halfway, about halfway through the movie. And he's like, uh, uh, the more uh, horrible things you see, the more evil men that you see, the more you don't want to believe they exist. Yeah. And his investigation, it seems to me, is like trying to find an explanation for oh. what happened that is not the obvious, what the, what the, the murderer says he yeah, the murderer. Well, the murderer and, and, calls him out on that even later. He yeah, says, and 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 us as the audience because it. because as an audience member, I'm like, there's got to be some other explanation. Right. Like this can't be, it, it can't be that simple. Like right. like that's just not. A, those aren't things that happen. Right. And all, and the movie just just walks this like incredibly thin line between keeping this mystery alive and keeping like these threads of hope that there will be like some kind of redemption for like one of these criminals. So there'll be another explanation or it was like all some like complicated, you know, fake scheme to fake her death and go back to the mainland or something. Right. And in the end, it's just, nope. Nope. It's just, bad things it's, happen. it's just horrible things happen. Yeah. 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 It, it's a, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, film uh intentionally so uh yeah it's uh it raises some big questions and it, and it like you said it, it forces you to uh to look at your own conceptions of, of things <laughs> yeah and also you know yeah and that, body parts that's that, that's one that i know we didn't mention on the last show like i, I really didn't know anything about it no, going into it I... other than that it was a hong kong film and, and aaron clock starred in it right which of course was enough to get me to go and see it. Sure, and he's great. He's really good. Yeah, he he's, won. He's doing like a Columbo thing, and and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great, and and he's redeeming that kind of multi-pocketed vest uh, that was ruined by Blues Traveler back in 1998. So, uh, now, uh, this is how good Aaron Guac is in that movie. He made me consider getting a vest. <laughs> You know, if you got the vest, you would look exactly like him. <laughs> I would. I need, I need my hair needs to be a little grayer. Right. I need to get like the slightly the different, different rims on my sure, glasses. Sure. But yeah, it was a really good performance. And she's good too. She's uh, yeah. I don't the know her the, name. the young actress who plays the uh, the the victim is uh, is a mainland uh, actress, and she hasn't done much before. This is, I think, it might be like her film debut. Yeah, but she's she's terrific too. Yeah, she's she's very good. So yeah, that's definitely. Oh, and the guy who plays the killer looks like a young lamb suet. He does. Like eerily, like a young lamb yeah, suet. Yeah, it is like, kind of weird. Like once I have a working internet, I want to like look it up and see if he is like lamb suet's son <laughs> or something. Yeah, it, it's pretty uncanny. Yeah. Um, and also off-putting because lamb suet in my mind is a source of glee, and uh, this guy, uh, not so much. 
No. <laughs> well, uh, moving on to stuff that maybe, uh, you know, bigger ticket items, stuff that, that's on the radar because, you know, the track records of the filmmakers and, uh, you know, our expectations and all of that kind of stuff. Um, as you said at the beginning, um, the films that we anticipated, for the most part, have, at least for me too, have exceeded expectations. Um, and one of those, uh, probably the one that exceeded expectations the most, maybe, I, I guess, I don't know, uh, is the Guy Madden film, um, which we saw last night, The Forbidden Room, which I, I've, I respect Guy Madden a lot, and I, I love his style. Um, you know, he, he's the only director working today that can, you know, that, you know, there's that cottage industry now with the, the artist in all of these movies where, you know, they, they throw back to, you know, silent cinema, but Guy Madden's the only one that really, um, he taps under, he, into it. And he goes, understands silent cinema. Right. And he can use it and create new forms out of it instead of just making a pastiche of, of, of that. And anyway, so I, I, I've always, um, respected Guy Madden and I've enjoyed, you know, I, I, there's no film of his that I, I dislike. Um, and the only, but the only one that I love unequivocally is, uh, the heart of the world, his short film. Um, you know, brand upon the brain is, is good. Um, and, uh, my Winnipeg is a very interesting, um, in, in enjoyable film, but the forbidden room caught me by surprise because that movie is insane and so inventive and so much fun and the funniest movie. I mean, hands down the funniest movie at the festival. Oh, um, oh yeah. By, by a country mile. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to unpack the forbidden room really, but. Well, it's, it's, it's not one, one movie. It's like 30 movies, <laughs> all, all nested within each other. And it's, it's, it's about dreams and about stories and about movies and, and just a love of weird cinema, yeah. of, of weird you know, sci-fi, horror, uh, comedy, like a tropical movies. adventure movies. Yeah. Just the, the kind of uh, the, the visceral weirdness and joy of expressive cinema. And, and that, that goes to another thing. Like uh, there's now this other genre of film now where there are these intentionally ridiculous, uh, movies that try and tap into that, that spirit. Like grindhouse. Yeah. Like a grindhouse thing. Um, or all of those ones that, you know, hobo with a shotgun and all that stuff that yeah. came after the, the machete. The, the Robert Rodriguez school. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all those things, um, that don't, once again, just like you were saying about Guy Madden getting silent cinema, whereas the people that ape it don't, it's the same thing with this, where um, it's a love letter to all of those things, but it's by a craftsman that knows what he's doing. And, and also we should say, it's co-directed and co-written. I don't have the name in front of me right Evan now. Evan Johnson. Evan, yeah. Um, he, has, but, he has, it's like, it's the credit, the official credit is directed by Guy Madden, co-director Evan Johnson. Actually, it's co-director Evan Johnson, then director Guy right. yeah. Um, and, and they, and he co-wrote it too with Madden, but, um, the movie is a, just a tour de force. It's over two hours long. It's chock full 
of great character actors. Um, Geraldine Chaplin is in there with a whip. It's a great collection of weird actors. Yeah, uh, Udo Kier, Udo Kier. Ma- Matthew Almerich. Uh Yeah, there's so many great people, and 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 they all play for the most part. They all play multiple characters sure. in these different nested stories, and each person is totally game. Uh, you know, Matthew Elmerich is uh, <laughs> is tasked at one point <laughs> with. Uh, he kills his he, butler. He kills his butler, played by Udukir, and takes off all of his clothes and puts them on himself, and then takes his mustache and puts it on himself. And then the movie decides to then go into a dream sequence of the mustache. <laughs> yeah, like the the way the 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 stories evolve is like you have like a well, it starts with how to take a bath. And then it goes, like, into the bath, and then there's a submarine in the bath. And then there's, like, a story of, like, the people on the submarine. And then they meet somebody, and then you have, like, a backstory on him. And then he uh, is, like, going to save a woman, and then she falls asleep, and she has a dream where she's, like, on an island, and the island has a volcano, and then the volcano has a dream. And it, it'll, like, it'll go into, you know, it'll go down various, various paths, and it'll come out and then go off on a different fork with another character or an inanimate object or a newspaper story that will lead to like three more dreams or stories. Yeah. And it, but it all eventually collapses back to where every story has a beginning, middle and end. Right. And it's, it, it tells them all eventually. It's like a, it's like, it's like, like literary, you know, it's like, uh, Italico Calvino on a Winter's Night of Traveler or something like um, Cloud Atlas or something like that. Well, it's, it's but super goofy and and not like pretentious and it's just well, it's it's so much more complicated than if on a Winter's Night of Traveler because that's like that's nine stories and there, right. there's Same with chap- chapter Atlas. ends right. and then right. it's a new story right. and it's it's a completely new story. But he's he he'll tell like four stories and then he'll go back two stories and then tell two right. more stories and then go back three stories and then go back another one and he'll move the plots along. Um, some plots tell uh, complete stories all at once, right. and then and then move back. Uh, some are split up like multiple times mm-hmm. like the 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 earliest stories are split up the most often because right. they have like the more branches to go down and there's just so much there's so much going on with it and, and they're they're so weird and there's such a love not just of, of cinema but of language and of just of words it reminded me of monty python yeah. uh in in you know not only in just the the concept of a now for something completely different but also sure. um the nature of, of just, yeah, just this love, like, the inner titles are so funny in this thing, and it, they're so flowery and ornate, and, and it's just hilarious. Yeah, I mean, and it's picking up on that, which which you see a lot in, like, bad silent movies. You get, you get like, these inner titles that are just walls of, of right. text, or uh, uh, the inner titles that will, like, a, attempt to give, like, a kind of literary prestige to the film, even though if it's, like, a, a crappy genre film, by quoting Keats. Right. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there, there's Keats, there's Sappho, and there's another uh, poet. Right. Uh, Milton. There's a Milton. Yeah. Because, of course, there's Milton. Uh, to just to give it that, that kind of phony, highbrow quality right. to, you, like, your, your, you know, skeleton insurance adjuster <laughs> story. <laughs> It's it's fantastic. It's, it's so much fun. It is so it is so much fun. And my one 
concern while watching it was that how is he going to stick the landing? You know, I was like, this is spiraling so out of control. How are you going to possibly bring this back and, and, and leave, like, how are you going to give us the, the, the climax that we need? And what he does, and this isn't a spoiler at all because I could, you couldn't even do it justice, um, a character pulls out a book of climaxes and it goes into this, like, two or three minute just montage of just ecstatic editing and it's all it's all high notes and it's so beautifully done that I was I was my my jaw was on the floor. My my concern going into it was that it was and I knew the running time, it was two hours and fifteen minutes long. And uh, my experience with, with Guy Mad movies uh, is that they tend to wear out their welcome. Yeah. Uh, Saddest Music in the World, Brand Upon the Brain, Twilight of the Ice Nymphs. Uh, those are all movies that I really like for like the first half hour, and then it just gets kind of tedious. Yeah. Uh, my Winnipeg and, and Archangel are, are two exceptions to that. Those are my two favorite Maddens. Uh, and Heart of the World, obviously, which, which is, is a short. Which is six minutes long, yeah. Um, but, so I was, I was really worried if uh, The Forbidden Room was going to be able to sustain this 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 pitch like it's this madcap insane. yeah it's like it's on 11 yeah. from the the moment <laughs> you learn how to take a bath <laughs> and you know i i didn't know if he could like keep that keep that yeah. level of, of energy and intensity up without without giving you a headache and and he did yeah and that's it's, the most amazing thing about all of it stunning. is because any of these would be like a, a heart of the world quality short right but he he made 30 of them and tied them all together <laughs> And it's it's remarkable. Yeah, it's absolutely astonishing. I I was just over the moon. I mean, just over the moon for it. Um, there there are a couple of spots that that did feel a little dead spots, but I think those were somewhat intentional. Like there's the 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 um, the farmer and the the farm boy or whatever. The gardener uh, boy. The gardener boy with his manacles or whatever. Um, which that one is a is a much slower you know, contemplative thing, but I think that's intentionally placed in there so that, you know, you, you just for like rhythm. For breathe, yeah. Just to breathe, you know? Yeah. So while it was going, I was like, Oh, this is getting a little, but then in the, but it, it's, when you look at the whole of it, it makes sense. Yeah. It's not as like jokey. Right. Uh, a story, but it's, it's like hilarious in conception. Sure. That like this, this like elderly escaped convict is, gets hired <laughs> as a gardener boy. Right. <laughs> and like, and the job with bathing the, and his, his job interview is oh, yeah, hilarious. his job interview is great. No, it's uh, I could talk about this movie for forever. Um, it's it's opening in Seattle too. Um, yeah, it's, it's opening at the Film Forum, uh, like October nineteenth or something like that. Yeah. Like it'll it'll be out soon. And and, and uh, I mean I'm I'm even tempted. It's playing here again on Wednesday in, in the afternoon. And I was thinking about it earlier. I was like, you know, I could just forgo <laughs> and watch that again, but. Um, I'm definitely, definitely going to make uh, the effort to go back and see it at the film forum. Uh, well, one movie I did watch again was uh, one of our, was it our favorite? It was one of our favorite movies from, from SIF. It was in my top three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was uh, Lee Kwon Kuk's uh, Matter of Interpretation. And uh, I liked it more seeing it a second time and especially seeing it on a big screen as opposed to a screener, which was the way... Uh, you and I had to watch it, and it was a particularly shoddy screener that we got too. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as 
it wasn't the worst one we've had, but it was it was fuzzy. It was fuzzy. Uh, and you know what? It looks better. <laughs> Projected on a big screen. High definition on a big <laughs> yeah. screen. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just to kind of refresh your memory, it's it's about uh, an actress who like walks out of her show and she's kind of depressed and she goes sits on a park bench where she meets a cop and the two of them talk about her dreams and uh, the film kind of flashes back to uh, a year previously when she broke up with her boyfriend and also various dreams that she's had and the cops. Uh, kind of experiences with his sister who has had an accident and is uh, now uh, mentally ill. And it kind of, t and it kind of weaves in and out of, of time and reality uh, in this kind of very deadpan, uh, similar to Hong Sang-soo in kind of tone and spirit, uh, but very, but very, you know, singular. Uh, Lee is, is uh, very much a unique voice in, in, in cinema. And seeing it a second time, I was much a, much better able to follow the various threads and see how it structurally all fits together and know, you know, what's taking place when and how the, the dreams are all uh, taking place. And I, I appreciated the endings a lot more because mm -hmm. there, there are several points where the film could end and it doesn't. And I had, I had trouble remembering how it ended, like even just after I watched the screener. I couldn't exactly remember, like later that evening, I couldn't remember how the movie ended. Mm -hmm. uh, I like them much more, seeing seeing them a second time. Like there's there's one point where the movie ends, uh, or or where the uh, the woman in a dream encounters this car that's been a recurring motif throughout the film, and she opens it up, and balloons come out, and that would have been a a really good place to end, but it would have been too cute. Uh, it would have been very sweet. It would have been kind of romantic and, and nice, but he doesn't end it there. There's, you know, another, you know, descent into depression and tragedy after <laughs> that, followed by a slight uplift and, and hope for the future, which is, it's a much more kind of complete statement about reality and our relation mm -hmm. to it than the, the cutesy romantic ending would have been. Yeah, so. it's a great movie and one that I, you know, was... Uh unable to catch again I, I i forget what it conflicted with but um i'm, I'm glad you know um you said it was, a, it was a nice crowd for that one and i'm glad that people are checking that one out because um yeah it was definitely one of the more impressive films that we saw at sip and and i'm you know uh lee quinn is definitely on my radar now um for you know anything he does after that in romance joe dude's Dude's good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, well, speaking of movies about, you know, in terms of, like, where to end your movie, uh, I caught the uh, film, the much-buzzed-about film, uh, the German film Victoria, which is, uh, uh, the, the buzz about it is because it's, it's shot all in one take, um, it, you know, in real time. Um, and it's, it's about a... Uh, oh, uh, transplant from Madrid who's living in Berlin uh, who's out clubbing one night and she meets these guys um, who are kind of low-life thug kind of guys or at least that's how I read it <laughs> and uh, and they you know try and convince her to go hang out with them go party and, and go hang out on the roof and smoke cigarettes and stuff and and she goes along because she doesn't know many people and she's you know uh, and then it 
as as the as the night wears on or as it becomes dawn, uh, she gets asked to uh, help them out uh, doing a job, and it turns out that they you know owe a debt to gangsters, and she gets roped into this robbery thing and stuff, and it gets really stupid <laughs> uh, the, the crowd I saw would, would really responded to it uh, and I, I did not uh, so much uh, partially because one um, it's just really dumb like you don't have any sympathy for her um, or her plight or anything that happens because these guys the first half of it is supposed to be kind of a cutesy funny to a degree you know playful banter and and uh, getting this relationship going with her and one of the guys in particular. Um, but for me, that was the scary part because these guys were cl clearly, you know, bad dudes, uh, skeevy and kind of gross. And um, she's, you know, praying, they were praying on her and stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, and then the second half when it tries to get really dramatic, I thought it was really stupid and funny. <laughs> uh, so it the tone didn't work for me so well. And I think part of that problem was the one, you know, extended take. And unlike something like Birdman, this is one, you know, full take the whole way through, which is a technical achievement, but it also uh, straightjackets the director from uh, being able to, I don't know, cut the fat. <laughs> and this movie is fat. It's over, it's like two hours and 20 minutes, and it felt like five, I'd say, by the end of it. And, and for me the best place for it to cut would be there's a quiet moment before any of the actual plot kicks in where uh, she, she, the guys leave her temporarily and she brushes her teeth and, and is planning on having, you know, the night being over. And I was like, if you cut it there, which is like 40 minutes into the movie, that would be kind of fun. She, you know, she goes out drinking with these guys, goes on a roof, smokes some cigarettes, drinks some beer, and then brushes her teeth and the movie's over. That would be way cooler than, like, some bleached blonde German gang lord telling them to go rob a bank at, when it opens at 7 a.m. or whatever. But that's just me. So that was a disappointment. Yeah, I don't think I could take a two-and-a-half-hour one-take movie. It was pretty, yeah, it was, by the end, I was checked out of it well before the end um because it just keeps going there's there's yet another logical end point where it um kind of like the movies we were just talking about these nesting narratives where it ends up back at the place that it started it starts in a club and then they later on they end up back at that club temporarily and that seemed like a logical end point and then there's a whole nother like 25 minutes after that and i was like are you kidding me um so it was it was definitely a slog um you know, the performances were kind of good. You know, I, I don't have the name in front of me. I don't have the internet. Um, but the woman that plays Victoria, she's, uh, she's very uh, attractive. <laughs> and, she does, and she holds her own on the screen. Uh, and she has a great, great quiet moment in the movie. But on the whole, it was, um, you know, too, it was flashy uh, and just, but also schematic and kind of uh, ridiculous. So any disappointment for you? What would be a disappointment uh, on your radar there, Sean? Um, I think uh, the kind of the most disappointed I was 
was in the third part of Miguel Gomez's Arabian Nights. Uh, I think we, we mentioned this before, uh, we don't get to see the first part of the movie here because it played for the first time uh, just before our train arrived and it plays for the second time just after our train leaves. So I wasn't able to see the first part, but uh, I went to see the second and third. And the stories aren't really all that connected, so it, it, it shouldn't have mattered. Uh, I watched the second part and loved it. I, lo I loved everything about it. It's like, it's like three separate stories. It's, uh, it's kind of like loosely based on the structure of the Arabian Nights. There's a Scheherazade character. She's telling stories. But all the stories are kind of based in events that happened in Portugal in 2013-2014. So it's, it's this kind of, uh, as uh, 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 somebody, somebody on Twitter said, it's like this, this mix of social realism and magical realism, which is very similar to uh, Miguel Gomez's uh, last feature, Taboo, from 2012, uh, which I also really liked. Um, so I, the, second, the second part is fantastic, one of my favorite films of the festival. So I was really looking forward to the third part. And the first 40 minutes of the third part are even better than anything in the second part. It's the, the story of, of, of Scheherazade in this kind of magical world where kind of all time periods and cultures exist at the same time in this kind of in this Baghdad that's actually an archipelago. And she escapes from the, the king's harem for a day. And she kind of goes around and visits and meets a bunch of different people. There's like Portuguese immigrants who are wearing like Portuguese soccer jerseys among like people in medieval Arab dress. Uh, there's like a there's a very very handsome blonde uh, paddleman who is very dim, but he's so pretty that she spends the day with him and then he uh, then he talks to her and she says that you're so pretty you bring so much happiness into the world just by looking at you but you should never ever talk. And she sings, uh, she sings, she sings Perfida, and then she falls off a cliff, and it's very funny. Uh, it's, it's great. I, I absolutely adored it. And then the next hour and 20 minutes or so is a very slowly paced documentary about large men who train finches to sing. <laughs> and, yeah. Yes. It's, it's basically a 20-page New Yorker article that I would have stopped reading after five pages <laughs> and just, like, skipped through and looked at the cartoons. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's nicely done. There's, like, a neat structural thing that, that Gomez does where he has, like, a lengthy uh, kind of textual uh, uh, titles that come on until, like, Scheherazade, you know, talks about this guy and, and kind of tells his story and you listen to the bird song and then uh, when morning comes Scheherazade stops telling her story and then we see uh, the documentary scenes of like the various bird uh, catchers and, and bird song people talking and then when Scheherazade starts talking again we don't we get the the text on screen but we don't hear them talking we just hear the birds so that's kind of nifty but it just goes on and on and on and on <laughs> and on and then there's a new story uh, in the middle of it one of the characters stories spins off into this side story of this uh, Chinese immigrant in, in Portugal 
And it's an interesting story, and it's told isn't told entirely in voiceover narration as she tells us her story over images of protests of uh, the austerity programs in Portugal, and it's a really interesting story. And then it goes back to the fucking finches, <laughs> and it's one of those things that like I I understand its purpose structurally, structurally and theoretically within like the conception of the work as a whole. And I think it would actually play much better if you watched Arabian Nights as one six hour film. Right. It would be this kind of like meditative right. uh, denouement right. to the big epic. Right. Um, but just taken as an individual film, I, I, it was, it. it was, it was really disappointing because I love that first 40 sure. minutes so much. Right. Uh, but as a whole, just on, on the two-thirds of the film that I've seen, uh, I am confident in saying that Arabian Nights is, is one of the films of the year. Like, it, when it plays in, in Seattle, probably not until 2016. Right. It, it will be in something... Late, late 2016. It'll be something that, that you will have to see. Sure. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, you know, I and I like I said, I'm a stickler. That's why I didn't see them yet because I do I would want to see I would prefer to see a full six hour cut you know um, or something like that well I don't think it'll ever exist in a six hour oh I know but I'm just saying they'll just play like one two three right I'm just saying that I I I couldn't bring myself to do two and three and not see one sure I'm a weirdo so um, well another film that um Bounces all over the place, um, and, and just ping ponging with ideas and and all kinds of uh, interesting uses of cinema is the new Tom Anderson film, uh, the thoughts that once we had, which um, you and I saw separate shows of. I saw the first show, um, and uh, which was once again. Pretty sparsely attended. I don't know if it was conflicting with a big, oh, something big, but um, it was an evening show. It was show. the the Hong Sang Su. Oh, the, that's right. It was the first show of the Hong Sang Su, um, and then you saw it the next day. Um, yeah, I saw the afternoon show the next day, and there was uh, all of, all of the cool people were at that show. Well, I'm a trendsetter. What can I say? And Tom Anderson was here for both shows. He so was here, and that guy is uh, really weird. <laughs> He's. He's an amazing individual. <laughs> uh, anyway, so this film, you know, people that are familiar with his previous work, like Los Angeles Plays Itself, um, it's a similar vein to that. Um, however, uh, this doesn't have any narration. It's all based on the works of uh, the philosopher-critic uh, Deleuze, um, who has a pretty impenetrable, from my uh, reckoning, style, um, where he's arguing about uh, different types of cinema, and um, it, it, pretty particular with the uh, two seminal works from the uh, '80s, uh, the time image and the movement image. I think, or, uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so there's, that's, there's theoretical construct for talking about right. cinema, and that's the springboard uh, for the for Anderson's film, um, as is uh, as he announced at the beginning of my show. Uh, 
his discovery of of the musical genre uh, like a year ago <laughs> because he turned on TCM on like uh, New Year's Day and there was a musical marathon. And he it said, was the last entertainment, uh, that's that's entertainment, entertainment yeah. marathon. Uh, and he said, oh, hey, what's this? And <laughs> he decided to make uh, a musical. Anyway, uh, it's... I... I, I'll come out right, right away and say, uh, I don't get the whole thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily get what Deleuze is talking about. Um, and, and I, in Anderson's, uh, clips that accompany it, accompany it don't always make sense to me, but it is exuberant. It's joyous. It's fun. It's very, in, in, as a musical, um, it does feel like a musical. It's very, it, it has a rhythm to it. Um, and it's, and it's pretty darn fun stuff. And, and also he does manage to, uh, contextualize those kind of, uh, Deleuze things, certain ones, uh, in really joyous ways. Like it, there's, there's one about, um, uh, I forget what what the example, but he says uh, it's it's uh, light on white or something, and then it cuts to the shot of Marlene Dietrich in a white gown, just bathed in light, and you're like, that's the of all pieces of cinema, that's probably the best clip you could have used for that description that just came across the screen. Yeah, I I don't know much more about Deleuze than you do. I. Uh, when I have read him, I have found him largely impenetrable. Uh, it, uh, but I think, as as I do understand it, I think like this is this is the closest I have come to understand right, what exactly. he what he is talking about. Sure. And I think I think the way that Anderson has gone about kind of explicating his work is the best way to do it to to break it down into like these little aphorisms, like these short sentences or even fragments of a sentence accompanied by a phone clip that kind of illustrates the idea behind it or Anderson's idea of, of the what? idea behind it. Right. Um, and yeah, he uses clips, you know, the, the, the book, uh, the, the works are from the, you know, 80s, like 83 and 88 or something like that. But he's using clips, you know, there's a clip from Ghost World from 2001, you know. Right. And he said it at the beginning of the show, he said, you know, this is my take on this. And that's what I love about it too is that, it's it's so uh, idiosyncratic. It's so personal of a of a journey. Well, I think I think I think uh, I think Deleuze inspires with that because his his theories are so idiosyncratic and they're so personal. I don't. I honestly don't think anybody actually knows what he's talking about, and I don't really think that he does either. Right. Like I, and you know, maybe it's just me chalking up what I don't understand to to something else. But I don't really see. Uh, his theory of the cinema as a theory of the cinema right. so much as like a, 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 a machine for generating ideas about the cinema. Sure. It's, it's a, a way uh, it's, it's more like a, a, a poetry about the cinema. Than yeah. He's a, a theory philosopher about the poet. Instead right. of, yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it makes you think in, in sideways as opposed to telling you this is my idea and these are the three reasons why I think that the cinema is this. Right, and that and that alone is valid. And and uh, and and with the with the it tends to get caught taught like it's a theory though. Right. Which exactly. is which is a problem. A waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at least 
that's how I was taught it. Well, watching this, this is this is the type of movie I just kind of wish I had like a room in my house with a TV in it, and that was just on a loop. The thoughts that once we had, and I would just kind of walk in and catch like five minutes of it before doing something else, and just letting that kind of soak, you know, uh, in my brain. Um, and and it's such a once again, you know, the the, the great thing about Anderson is his taste, the, what he chooses to include, um, with, with, you know, over a century's worth of cinema at his disposal, the, the clips that he incorporates into this are impeccable, impeccable. They're impeccable. They really are. Um, and, and that is his, I think, true talent. Yeah. I mean, it, it opens with, uh, Musketeers of Pig Alley and then goes on on a riff on on Lillian Gish and and and, Griffith. and, and D. W. Griffith and Mary Pickford, and it goes it goes from Pig Alley to to Millennium Mambo. And then you have Shuchi and and uh, uh, three times right. and uh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson, right? And no, Thora Birch. Is that Thora Birch? Yeah. And Thora Birch in in, in Ghost World. Yeah. So yeah, Gish to to Birch. Yeah. Uh, and it's and with uh, with stops along the way at the Marx Brothers and Charlie Chaplin and Laurel and Hardy and Maria Montez and uh, in one of the greatest pieces of cinema ever, <laughs> Deborah Paget in the Indian Tomb or the Tiger of Nashapur. There are dueling snake charming dances that happen in this movie that are just absolutely insane. Uh, but also on top of that, he incorporates stuff that is not cinema. He he incorporates uh, the Patty Hearst. Um, well, it's all cinema. Well, I okay, <laughs> okay, yes, yes, Godard, but um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, there's there's uh, cinema from unexpected places, right? Norman Mailer talking about the uh, the, the world the, trade the construction center. of the World Trade Center before it came, uh, footage from Stalingrad and Leningrad, right. World War II, um, all this other stuff that that um, once again impeccably chosen and. Uh, and so very, very uh, invigorating and interesting. It, it, uh, the movies uh, has kind of impacted the way I've been watching the movies I've seen after it. And this kind of separating out the film into, into specific gestures or, or moments or, or scenes as opposed to just like taking in the whole plot or the whole image just to, to look at discrete moments in cinema and you know something like uh the forbidden room plays amazingly well oh, after sure. the thoughts Absolutely. of once we had because it is all about uh creating those those you know really special those, moments. those movies are two peas in a in a pod that uh as i said uh after i saw the madden i'm glad they were spaced apart because my my right. head would have exploded but but even something that that is like conventional and classical in its storytelling, like like a tale of three cities, mm-hmm. uh, it it led me to focus on like specific movements of of the actors or or of the camera, or just tiny little images, right. uh, which is great. You know, it's you know you have a good movie when it changes the way you watch movies, right? And that's what the Anderson does. Yes. Uh, all right, so I, I think that is enough for now. We will talk more another time. We we I don't know how many movies we covered, maybe eight. 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> of, of the, like, between the two of us, we've seen, like, 20 so far. So we've barely scratched the surface. Uh, I haven't written a word <laughs> yet, but I will do so. Uh, my, my schedule's been really hectic so far, but it's going to open up over the next couple of days. So I definitely plan to get some writing done at, uh, at my website, uh, theendofcinema.blogspot.com. Mike has been writing up a storm over <laughs> at, uh, at Seattle Screen Scene. That's right. And for and for this nine days only, I'm also on the Twitter. I've been I've com, I've I've taken over the George Sanders Twitter feed uh, at Geo Sanders Show. Um, so you can follow us along there. Um, and yeah, see all screen scene. There's there's other reviews on there from uh, some good folks, um, including some guest reviews from Vancouverites. Uh, well, one Vancouverite. One Vancouverite. Uh, uh, our, our pal Neil, who you haven't met yet. I haven't met anybody. You haven't met anybody yet, uh, <laughs> but but Neil's here. He's watching movies and he's uh, he's written some reviews for it. He's very uh, gracious to to share them with us. So we've got them up on the website as well. And uh, the checks in the mail, Neil. And Melissa was up here for a couple of days too, and she will have some stuff on Seattle screen scene when she gets a chance. Yeah, Melissa packed in a lot of movies in a couple of days. Yeah, she watched what ten movies in two days and <laughs> yeah. then went home. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. That's um, it. We'll we'll have we'll probably have another one of these before we leave, maybe. Yeah, it's easier than writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, so uh, keep your eyes on the skies, everybody. I'm I'm gonna keep my eye on this uh, volleyball game across the street. Yeah. Uh, Until uh, next time. Yeah, watch out for volcanoes. <laughs> Just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world Welcome.